So I'm going to read to you today from Genesis 13, English Standard Version. If you'd like to follow along, that would be great. So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all he had, and lot with him unto Negeb. Now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. And he journeyed on from the Negeb as far as Bethel, to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and A, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. And Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together, for their possessions were so great and they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's stock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me, and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, I will go to the left. And Lot lifted his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zor. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if you can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also shall be counted. Arise, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre which are at Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. All right. Thank you, Brent, for reading that scripture for us. And uh, obviously, we're in Genesis 13 today, so you can uh, turn there, and we're going to work through this passage that was just read for us. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I uh, called my brother who lives uh, in Saskatchewan, and uh, he's uh, actually, he and his wife live in Cairnport, um, where actually I went to Bible college at Briarcrest, but Dale is there uh, as a high school teacher. And so... Um, just asked, just chatting about life and asking him how things were going. He goes, oh, bit of a heavy day uh, yesterday or last night. He said we had uh, parent-teacher interviews. So if any of, 
any of you are, are teachers here, you probably know that uh, parent-teacher interviews uh, uh, maybe not the highlight of your semester. <laughs> they can be because some parents are encouraging. But he actually had, he told me one parent that was quite upset with him. Uh, tore one you know, strip off up one side and down the other because uh, my brother had marked his child, uh, his student, uh, late on a number of occasions and it was reflected in the, in the student record, in the report card. And so he came in to defend his child and, and asked my brother to clarify what late meant. And so uh, my brother said, well, there's this thing called a bell. And when it rings and your child's not in the classroom, they're late. Well, you know, can't you, you know, just adjust, you know, the parameters or what you would call late? And Dale said, like, I don't know, how, I don't know how to do that. Like, if if the bell rings at 8:35 or whatever the time is, and your child's not in the room and they enter afterwards, I have to mark them late. Well, he didn't think that was fair. So, uh, <laughs> so my brother uh, uh, told him a story, which he actually repeated to me, and he said, Ellen, the, rea- the reason I do this, like I, I'm not here to be mean, I'm just actually trying to help them learn a life lesson. So he said, one of my former students came back to me, uh, like recently, and said, you were right. And my brother said, what do you mean I was right? He goes, there's consequences when you're late. Oh, really? So tell me what happened. He goes, yeah, like after high school, I got this great job. I think it was at Superstore. And he says, I'm working. And I was late a couple of times. And my boss came to me. He said, if, if you're late one more time, I will have to fire you. And he said, I didn't take them seriously. <laughs> so he was late another time and he got fired. And he came back to my brother and he said, you were Right. And so, and so Dale said, this is, and I explained this to the parent, and he said, I'm not doing this to be mean, but when your child comes in, even 30 seconds past the bell, I mark them as late, because that's what they are. And I want them to succeed at life, and so this is why I do what I do. You see, life is all about choices, and we always make decisions based on our priorities, and our priorities are always based on what we value. So, if you value uh, a paycheck, you value putting food on the table, you value making your mortgage payment or your car payment or a place to live or whatever, then you will be on time for work. So you will make being on time a value because it's important to you that these other things fall into place. So uh, really our choices, even small daily ones, are all based on values. Today I uh, rode my motorcycle here I'm so excited for the good weather. I made it a priority today to put on uh, a different pair of shoes than I'm wearing right now, a pair of uh, uh, boots, and uh, a motorcycle jacket that has some you know, padding in the back and the elbows and then the shoulders and that kind of thing. I put a helmet on. I put gloves on that have protection in them. And I do that because I value my life. Uh, and, but even before that, I value those that I love and that would be very devastated if something unnecessary were to happen to me. So I value the happiness of my wife and my kids. And so I make it a priority to put protective gear on when I ride. I could go on and on and on and give you uh, more examples, but our text this morning is all about priorities. It's about things, uh, and so our priorities in life, the decisions we make, are all based on the things that we value.
something we're working through right now in Freedom Session. We're finishing off graduation for Freedom Session is going to be Wednesday, May the 1st, so we're going down the home stretch. The last eight weeks of Freedom Session is called Authentic Living, and, uh, and it talks about, it, it's all about priorities and the things we value as we create a life plan, an authentic life plan that will guide us in the way we live. And so today, uh, today our text really is about the priorities that Lot had and the priorities that Abraham had. So Lot is Abraham's nephew. We're going through uh, Genesis. We started in chapter 12. And these two men who were uh, traveling together, Abraham kind of took Lot under his wing after his father, Abraham's brother, passed away. And so his nephew is traveling with him. And you see that when it came to uh, this fork in the road where they had to make some pretty important decisions, that there were different sets of priorities. Two different ways of looking at the world that Abram had and Lot had. They both th uh, made what they thought were, was the right or the smart decision according to their own priorities and values. Abram's choice leads him to blessing and multiplication. Lot's choice eventually leads to destruction. So the, the choices that we make in life are actually pretty important. So last week we looked uh, at the developing plot in the book of uh, Genesis where, you know, uh, back in chapter 12, God had placed a call on Abraham to leave the land where he was raised and had grown up. He was from, you know, the Chaldeans, that, that area, and, he said, and God said, I, I, I've chosen you and I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to make you a blessing to all of the nations, but I need you to, to do that. I need you to move from here to here. I, I'm taking you to a place that you don't know anything about, but trust me, I want you to go. Abraham had no clue, but he said yes. He said, I'll believe you, God, and I will go. Before that, he was uh, probably a, a, an idol worshiper, a pagan worshiper, and God met him, spoke to him, said, listen to me, and and, and so Abram went. But along the way, um, he got sidetracked and he ran into uh, a little bit of trouble. When trouble came his way and hardship and there was a famine in the land, he took a detour. Instead of going where God wanted him to go, he headed to Egypt. And so the tension uh, in the plot last week was uh, around the trial of famine. When hardship came, Abram made some choices that weren't really great. God redeemed those choices, but in the meantime, there was a lot of unnecessary trouble and suffering that happened, not only to Abram, but to his entire clan, to his family, especially his wife. And, and this week, the tension in the plot centers more around Lot and the trial of prosperity. So you have a, a, a trial of famine, but then now you have a trial that includes prosperity. And you see these two men were very rich by this time. They had a lot going for them. Prosperity is actually one of the harder paths to walk in terms of uh, the tension and the pressures that it puts on our life. Uh, the writer of Proverbs acknowledges this. He said to God, he asked God, Solomon said, remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty. He said, I don't, I don't want to be poor, nor do I want to be rich. He said, give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? So that's a tendency when we, when we have a lot of wealth is to deny the Lord and no longer rely on him. 
or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Poverty and famine brings its own set of challenges. And so so this morning you see um, Abraham uh, got out of Egypt. Uh, Pharaoh, actually because of his wife Sarai, uh, gave, gave uh, Abram all of these, uh, all this livestock and all of these things. He increased in wealth and then when Abram or uh, Pharaoh kind of figured out that Abram had, had lied to him and he said, get out of here and take everything and go, he went with a lot of wealth. He had stuff to begin with, but he went out quite rich and so did Lot. And they came, they made their way back to Canaan where he was supposed to go, where he had come from actually to begin with. He came back rich and there was dissension in the ranks. The land couldn't support both of them. Uh, And so uh, um, Abram and Lot had to part ways so that they could properly look after all of the livestock that they had. And in the meantime, um, there was fighting amongst the herdsmen. And, and Abram said, we can't have this dissension. We can't have disunity or fighting, so we're going to resolve this. Lot, if you go left, if you go right, I'll go left. If you go left, I'll go right. So let's look at Lot's priorities based on his values, the decisions he made. And then let's take a look at Abram. First of all, in Genesis 13, we see that Lot really prioritized the riches that he could see. He prioritized the riches that he could see. He made his choice according to really one factor uh, from what it appears in the text, and that was what choice is going to benefit me the most and increase my wealth. Um, Lot doesn't uh, go to, you know, Uncle Abe and say, you know, you're my elder. I defer to you. Um, You know, you go ahead and choose. God gave you the promise. I defer. You pick. Lot doesn't do that. And the second thing Lot didn't do was he didn't seek God in his decision. Um, You know, he was affected uh, by Abram's choices and the whole fiasco that happened down in in Egypt, but he learned nothing through that. Abram, last week that we we saw in the second half of Genesis 12, he got into trouble because there was no record of him building an altar, consulting the Lord, worshiping, saying, God, what do I do in the midst of this famine? And uh, Lot, Lot didn't learn from that. Instead, he looks out at the land and he chooses what looked best to him. There's a warning in the text. If you go to verse 12, it says that Abram settled in the land of Canaan while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. Lot chose the Jordan Valley, renowned, yes, for its fertile land and its ability to produce wealth, but also its notoriety for moral corruption. Lot's downward path in Genesis 13, which we're going to get to yet in, in, in coming chapters, becomes very serious based on this initial choice. First of all, he, he raised his eyes without consulting the Lord, and he looked towards Sodom. That was step one. Step two, after they parted ways, it says that he pitched his tent just outside of Sodom, one step closer. Step three, and we're going to see this in Genesis chapter 14 next week, that now Lot is actually living in Sodom. So he looked towards Sodom. He pitched his tent just outside Sodom, 
then he's living in Sodom. And then if you go to Genesis chapter 19, we see that Lot now is fully integrated into the life of Sodom and he's at the gate of Sodom. And whenever in ancient times someone sat at the gate, it means that they were a leader. They were involved in leadership in that city. Now sometimes God calls us to live in Sodom. I mean, there's no place around us. We can't go anywhere where there is no moral corruption, where there isn't sin. But Lot is not in the midst of his choice to go in that direction, prioritizing or seeking the mission of God. He's prioritizing material prosperity. That's the basis. That's his value. How can my wealth increase as I look towards that, not caring at all about the bigger plan or the mission of God? He's putting the riches of the Jordan Valley above God. And instead of Lot influencing his culture, we're going to see in, in, in the coming weeks that his culture strongly influenced him. I, I think this is a good place to take a little bit of a break in the text and, and, come and talk about application a little bit. Because there's stuff here for us to apply uh, as it pertains to our lives. And I want to talk a little bit this morning about relationships, about career, about school, about sports, all of those kinds of things, because every day we're faced with choices. Every day we're faced with choices. And, and what are we going to prioritize based on our values? Um, when, I, when I was thinking about how to apply this, my mind went, uh, thinking about Lot, it went to a lot of choices, especially that younger people make when it comes to life partners. And they, they make a decision often, sometimes, or quite often, to go with a partner, if they're a believer, a Christian, to go with someone who's not a follower of God, of Christ. And, and they, they pair themselves up with uh, somebody whose values are completely different than theirs. But thinking all along and telling themselves and justifying their decision and convincing themselves by saying, well, I will win them over so that they will value what I value and it's all going to turn out in the end. Sometimes it does. But it's a big gamble. It's a big risk. And I've seen it go the other direction far too many times where uh, the culture, the other person influences them away from God. And it is just so hard to get back. It's just so hard to get back. And I praise God in my life for uh, my sister who actually influenced me and helped me prioritize and come to the correct values when I was in high school. See, I finished off high school. I grew up in small town Saskatchewan, but I finished high school in Saskatoon at a bigger collegiate. Went from a town, uh, a school of 200, kindergarten to grade 12, to a student body of over 2,000, just grade 10, 11, 12. And I was a little bit out of my league. And I actually... Uh, dated for a short period of time a girl who was not a Christian. Very brief. And it was very brief because when I was living at my sister's place, she caught wind of the path that I was going down and she made the decision to call my parents. <laughs> and the three of them cornered me. I can still remember it in the living room of my sister's place and my sister is laying into me. What are you thinking? Yeah, run, forest, run is exactly right. 
And um, because of that, and I, and, I, and I really, I take no credit other than the strength God gave me and a sister who loved the Lord and parents who loved the Lord uh, by uh, ending that relationship. And I, and I didn't do it the cowardly way and just said, you know, we're not compatible or like this isn't gonna work. I, I literally went to her and I says, you know what? I'm a, I'm a Christian. I'm a believer. I go to church. I, I want to live this way and, and you don't. And I don't think that this is good. This is not, not a good beginning to our relationship. And I ended it. She was thoroughly confused. But, uh, but look at what that decision uh, produced. My relationship with the Lord became deeper. I'm going to a youth group where I met this very cute and very awesome <laughs> A uh, young woman who is now a very uh, cute and awesome <laughs> uh, wife of mine who, uh, who I value and appreciate so much and who has uh, enhanced my life in so many ways and, my, and our ministry together and is just the partner that God chose for me. And, uh, and so I... I uh, uh, our, our choices in life have a great bearing on, on, on the future and where we go. Career, um, I, wanna, I wanna challenge you. Do you choose, especially those that are younger here this morning, young people, young adults, but those of us that are ol older as well, when we choose a path for work or career, do you choose one? Or often these days, two as a couple or three incomes. Do you choose one that, in, in the bottom line really is terrible for your family and your spiritual life because you have no time for God, no time for your kids, uh, no time for each other as a couple, uh, not because of conviction or, or call in your life, but because two to three incomes are required to pay for the lifestyle that you think is important or that you want. Uh, the reality is, is that it, it won't pay, it'll cost. I'm not saying that there isn't room for uh, double-income families. There absolutely is. If God has called one of you to a certain career and another to a certain career, and you're convinced that, that you can prioritize your relationship with God and with your family and have influence in your place of work for the glory of God, those are right decisions. But if you're doing it because you want this, 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 and this to impress that that person, that person, that person, and you're pulling in 70 to 80 hours a week to earn the money to the neglect of your family. Uh, that's uh, misplaced priorities and values. One of the uh, profs that I had at uh, Bible college said to us as a class, we were all pastoral students, and he, was, uh, he taught us uh, classes in pastoral ministry and also in preaching, and he said, to us guys, he said, never choose a ministry assignment based on salary. And his advice to us was, don't even ask. Don't even negotiate. Let them decide. And, and God will look after you. He said, if, if you've sought his will and where he wants you and in the role that he wants you, God will look after all of your needs. And he has been faithful to us. This is our 25th year in pastoral ministry. And churches are not notorious for giving out like uh, six-figure salaries. <laughs> They're just not, right? 
But I tell you, uh, God has been so faithful and so generous to us. And we give him all of the honor and the glory and the credit. And it's because of a, a faithful professor at college who said, you know what? Yeah, you got to live. But that's not your top priority is the salary. Your top priority is to be where God wants you to be and to do what he wants you to do. And he will sort it out. I know I'm going to touch some nerves this morning and I almost apologize for doing it, but not quite. <laughs> but there's a lot of parents uh, these days and I, you know, we, we raised uh, our kids as well uh, with certain goals and priorities and values and, and there's a lot of parents though that, are, that appear more concerned with what school or post-secondary school their kids go to, what jobs they get, kind of sports they play. They're more concerned with that than where they will spend eternity. And if, and if your desires uh, and your values for your kids outweigh looking at the big picture in the kingdom of God and how it will impact their lives, I'm going to ask you this morning to reconsider. I mean, what good is it if you or your children become leading men and women in Sodom, <laughs> professionals, CEOs, star athletes, but they lose their soul? It's what, you know, it's what scripture teaches us. What, what benefit is there? What good is it if you gain the whole world, but you forfeit your own soul? A choice not many kids or their parents together with their kids get to make. I've only seen it once in my lifetime with, with all of the sports that our, our, our kids have played. I've only seen it once. Didn't happen to our kids. It happened to... Uh, happened to one family that our son played soccer with at one time about 10 years ago, eight years ago. Not many kids get to make the choice between one, two, or even four full-ride scholarships at, at Ivy League schools where they get to choose between Yale, Princeton, Duke, whatever. <laughs> and this kid that I know had a choice, I think, of four schools, full-ride with a professional career in soccer to follow, guaranteed, already recruited. I've only seen it once in my lifetime. But the choice that all of our kids need to make is whether they will spend eternity in heaven or in hell. Am I hitting too straight? I, 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 it's, it's critical, it's critical, the priorities we, we have and the decisions we make. Now, don't hear me saying that we shouldn't aim high and seek to do our best and fully provide for our families and give them the things that maybe we didn't have. Do we need Christian professional athletes? Do we need Christian lawyers and judges? Do we need a Christian prime minister? Yes, we do. Yes, we do. And so, if you can prioritize your relationship with God and seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and make sure that your families aren't neglected and at the same time, you know, foster their path to a professional sports career or a job as the prime minister of Canada, I say, praise the Lord and go for it. 
but it is a matter of values and priorities, and we can get sidetracked like Lot so easily. So the second thing that I want to say about Lot is he prioritized self-interest over generosity. Because Lot didn't consider God and the mission of God first when he chose the riches that he could see, it shows that he was really doing, uh, what he was really doing was prioritizing himself and what he could accumulate for himself first. Uh, the opposite, really, of a generous heart. So verse 10, it says, Lot lifted up his eyes. There's, there's kind of uh, another warning in the text. Lot lifted up his eyes. Compare that to verse 14 in Genesis 13. I, uh, this, the, the contrast is so stark in the text here. So in verse 10 it says, And Lot lifted up his eyes, and he saw the Jordan Valley, and it was like this, and it was like this. Verse 14, And the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had said to him, Lift up your eyes. Do you see the difference? And Lot lifted up his eyes, but in 14, The Lord said, said to Abraham, Lift up your eyes and take a look. It was the Lord telling Abraham where he should look. Lot chose for himself where he should look. And, it was, and he chose poorly because it was self-interest. Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was like the garden of the Lord. He was really working on a false premise. He thought he could attain somehow this paradise on earth like, like, like he was going back to the beginning, to the garden of the Lord, to Eden. But Lot forgot that even in Eden is where sin originated. <laughs> and uh, they were tempted by the devil. Uh, verse 10, Lot lifted up his eyes. He lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was like the land of Egypt. So it's, he's looking at it two ways. It's, it's like the, the, the uh, it was like the garden of the Lord, but he also recognized that it's like the land of Egypt. And we said last week in the Old Testament, going down to Egypt is frequently the alternative to trusting God. And, and he was trusting that peace and security and happiness and paradise, Eden, heaven on earth could be attained by choosing the right land, fertile, right beside the happening city where all the action was. But he was wrong. When we lift up our eyes versus showing, lifting up our eyes to what God shows us, we always choose for ourselves and not what God wants for us. Many Christians really live like practical atheists. See, the way an atheist lives is that they deny that there is, even is a God. And so when there is no God and there's no ramifications for any kind of eternity or life after death, if, if this life is all there is, then we should pursue, uh, above all things, personal pleasure. We pursue what's good for me. And we avoid suffering at all costs. Like, I mean, that's the goal of most people today. Do, do what feels right, do what's good, and avoid suffering and pain because that's not, not good. And many Christians live like that. No eternal perspective, just living li uh, lives full of self-interest and pleasure. What's good for me? Let's take a look at Abram. 
Abram prioritized the kingdom of God. It's amazing the decisions he made in this text. He was far more relaxed, (laughs) far more relaxed in Genesis chapter 13 than he was in Genesis 12. And the primary reason for this is, if you look at the bookends of Genesis 13, what does he do that he didn't do in chapter 12? He goes to the altar of the Lord and he starts talking to God. He worships and he says, God, I would imagine, what do I do? You've brought me to this land. Now what? It's the very first thing actually that we're taught. Uh, I, I, know, I talk a lot about Freedom Session. I believe in it so much. But the last eight weeks, authentic living, it starts with week one of authentic living. So now we've already come through 10 weeks of uh, facing the truth, stepping out of denial and kind of figuring out what's really happening in our lives. Uh, we, we, we spend the next 10 weeks in uh, finding freedom, working through all of the really hard stuff of forgiveness and making amends and, and beginning to do things God's way. And then in the last eight, eight weeks of freedom session, session, the very first session is this, learning to hear God's voice learning to hear God's voice. And if we don't take time to actually communicate with God and have a relationship with the Holy Spirit and get direction from his word and talk to him, uh, everything else is, gonna, is not going to fall in line. So I would like to think that Abram had lots of time to think uh, about this because after the uh, Egypt fiasco, I'm sure there was a lot of silence in the car as Abe and Sarah rode <laughs> mile after mile after long mile without many words spoken. Abram with his tail between his legs and Sarah probably a little bit upset. Just like that time early in our ministry way back in Saskatchewan I, when I royally embarrassed Marcy at a wedding reception of a marriage that I had officiated at and I'm not going to tell you the story other than to say that the drive home was indeed very awkward. <laughs> and it was four hours <laughs> where there were not many words spoken. It was not good, but it was good because there's lots of time to think. First of all, about what kind of apology you need to make. But secondly, how you're going to get it right the next time. (laughs) And, and, And this time, Abram asks God what he wanted. Amazing, isn't it? Amazing. When we take time to ask God, what would you do? What would you have me do in this situation? So this is in Genesis chapter 12, the famine. No mention of altars, no worship of God. There was fear, there was doubt. There was, I'll do it this way, what I think is best. Genesis 13 begins and ends with the altar. He returned to the place of faith and of worship and of talking to God. So what are we to do when we fail? Call it quits? Leave the church, abandon our faith, blame others, including God? No. We come back to that place where we first believed. We come to that, back to that place of repentance and renewed faith. And we say, our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. 
That's what we do. And that's why we're here. Because I can guarantee you that 80% of us this week had something happen in our lives that maybe we don't feel really good about. But here we are. It's a chance for us to renew our faith, to repent of our sins, to come back to that place where we first believed and say, God, I need you. I need you to, do the, to walk with me through this difficulty. I need you to forgive this sin of mine. I need you. My sins are many, but your mercy is more. So living where we are right now between the promise, wherever, wherever that is, <laughs> and, and this life that we're in right now requires a lot of faith. Faith that God will take care of us and not abandon us. And the experience that Abram had, I believed, in, in Egypt... Uh, by uh, taking matters into his own hands, um, taught him a lesson that by believing God and following God and living for God and renewing faith and prioritizing the kingdom as he waited for the, pr the promise to be fulfilled, which he never saw, by the way. He saw partly, but not in full. We read that in Hebrews 11. This time, Abraham is just so much more relaxed. It's like, okay, here's a problem. Consult the Lord. Lot, you know, whatever you choose. <laughs> if you go right, I'll go left. If you go left, I'll go right. Doesn't matter. God's gonna look after me. And this is the cool thing about scripture. We see the sovereignty of God and you see the free will of man. How do you, how do you reconcile those? Uh, Abram and Lot made their choices, but in the final end, where did Abram end up? In Canaan. It's where God wanted him. I love it. God allows us to make these crazy choices, and yet he's in control, and he knows what he's doing. And if we misstep, God is somehow able to correct it. Isn't that, isn't that awesome? And that's the call of God in our lives. Everything here now as we wait for the promise, it's not right. It's not as it should be. There's pain. There's sin. There's suffering. There's hard choices to make every day, but God will provide and God will step in and God will correct because he's in control. We have the promises of God and one of the guarantees of those promises is the Holy Spirit that dwells within us as, as Christians. If Paul wrote in Ephesians 1, in Jesus, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. So we're not there yet, but the Holy Spirit walks with us. He's in us. He guides us. And he will make sure that we arrive. George Mueller, uh, who, uh, you know, in the, in the 19th century, who, when there was uh, the rise of orphanages in, uh, in England, uh, he was an evangelist, director of the Ashley Down Orphanage in Bristol. He cared in his lifetime for over 10,000 orphans, 10,024 to be exact. <laughs> he established 117 schools that offered Christian education to over 120,000 children, 
many of them, the majority of them being orphans, and people told him, George, forget it. You're wasting your time on these people who have no potential. And every day, every morning, he would get on his knees and he would consult the Lord and he would say, God, this is what I need. And every day the Lord provided his needs. Every day. And he said to others who, didn't, who just were blown away by his faith and, and didn't get what he was trying to accomplish, he said, my dear Christian reader, will you not try this way? Will you not know for yourself the preciousness and the happiness of this way of casting all your cares and burdens and necessities upon God? This way is as open to you as it is to me. Everyone is invited and commanded to trust in the Lord, to trust in him with all his heart and to cast his burden upon him and to call upon him in the day of trouble. Will you not do this? My dear brethren in Christ, I love that, brethren, cistern, <laughs> I long that you may do so. I desire that you may taste the sweetness of that state of heart in which while surrounded by difficulties and necessities, you can yet be at peace because you know that the living God, your father in heaven cares for you. That's amazing. And that's the plea of someone whose life was prioritized on the kingdom of God and whose reliance was on Jesus to meet every need. So Abraham prioritized the kingdom. Secondly, Abraham prioritized just the opposite of Lot, generosity over self-interest. It should have made sense to Lot that he would defer to Abraham, like I said before, and give him the pick of the land. Lot thought of himself first, and Abraham thought of himself, you thought I was going to say second, but he thought of himself third. <laughs> he thought of God first. He thought of Lot second and he thought of himself last. Third, Abram had wealth, he was rich, but his wealth did not have him. Lot's wealth had him. And because wealth had Lot, he felt entitled. And Abraham said, no, I choose to worship God first. I choose to defer to Lot second. And third, God's going to look after me. He was open-handed because he knew that what he had wasn't his to begin with, and he knew that God would provide. So let's wrap up with a few questions. The big question is this. Whose priority, priorities, whose priorities, Lot's or Abraham's, better exemplify your approach, my approach to life? That's a question that I want us to go home with today. Lot or Abraham, whose priorities better exemplify my life, my approach to life? What's the first and weightiest in your, of your decisions? Is it the kingdom of God and the mission of God, or is it your self-interest? And here's the truth about what we need to know this morning, that souls are valuable, that the mission is urgent, and that Jesus is glorious, and that he's provider. We need to make wise choices with our work, with our school, with our parenting, where we live, what we drive, what we do. We need to make wise choices based on our values and priorities in everything. And that we will bring them to Bethel, to the house of the Lord, to where God is in prayer. 
And I invite you this morning to consider the mission of Jesus as the weightiest, the most important priority of your life, of our lives. It's another question. We're going to look at this more closely next, next week. But Abram was generous because he knew that it all belonged to God. It was not his. A question that I have as you consider your priorities is, does God get the first and the best of all that you receive? Which didn't come from you to begin with. came from him. And however he provided it for you, does he get the first? Does he get the best? Abraham knew that he had been blessed by God to be a blessing. It started in his own family with Lot and it extended to those around him and ultimately it extended to the whole world, to you and to me. Scripture says, and God affirmed in this text, if you can count all of the dust of the earth, <laughs> good luck with that. But if you can, then you can count how many people are going to reap the promise that I'm giving to you right now of heaven. The promised land being filled with people from every tribe, every nation, every language, every race, worshiping Jesus together. The heirs of the promise. Does God get the first and the best of all that you receive? John Piper, in his book, Desiring God, said, God has made us all to be conduits of his grace. A conduit is just something that carries something from one point to the next. And an electrical conduit is the wires that run in the middle of the rubber so you don't get electrocuted. That's the conduit. And Piper said, the danger in thinking is in thinking the conduit should be lined with gold. It shouldn't, Piper said. Copper will do just fine. <laughs> so if God hasn't blessed you with what you don't consider to be gold, but he's given you copper, you can be the exact conduit of his grace and his blessing to others that he intended you to be. Don't wait till you're rich. For some of us, we'll be waiting a long time. Do it now. Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Colossians 3, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And so we need to seek the things of Christ. And that means first we need to give our lives to Christ. If you're here this morning and you are not a believer in Jesus Christ, I implore you, by faith, by faith, receive the grace of God that he has for you in Christ so that you can receive the promise that he gave to Abraham. Genesis or Galatians chapter three tells us that God preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. To Abraham. And that he received it by faith. And his response was to be a blessing to the world. Look north, look south, look east, look west. Everything you can see I will give to you and your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. Are you one of those descendants of Abraham? Somebody who is believing God for the promise that ultimately was in Jesus Christ. Hebrews 11 said that Abraham was looking forward to the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. 
And Jesus said, I'm going there to prepare a place for you. Is there a place prepared in heaven, in the kingdom of God that has your name on it? It's one of the things that we reminded my mom as she passed into glory. Every opportunity we gave, just a few weeks ago when she passed away, we said, oh, mom, you're going home. You're going to that place that has your name on it, designed by Jesus Christ himself for you because you put your faith in him. That's where you belong. Is that where you're going? Let's pray, let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, thank you so much for the lessons that we can learn from your word all the way back in the Old Testament how you gave promises to Abraham. And even though he and Lot fumbled and bumbled their way through it, you in your grace and your mercy were able to make corrections and to give people the ability to make good decisions. So Lord, we need your ability. We need your ability to make, to prioritize things based on the right values of the kingdom of God and of generosity. And as we look forward, as we look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, I thank you that you, Lord Jesus, made the right choices based on the value of seeing us, of seeing our lives, the fulfillment of the promise that you gave to Abraham so long ago. So Father, stir in our hearts. Stir in the hearts here this morning of people who are struggling in their faith of those who don't have faith, that you would draw them in and help them to realize just how much you love them, how much you want to provide for them, <clears throat> how much you want to give them a hope and a future. I ask all of this in Jesus' name, amen.